0: Are you ready to bring your real estate game to the next level? My name is James Prendamano. I'm the CEO and founder of PreReal. And over the past 25 years, I've closed over a billion dollars in transactional real estate. Each week, I'm meeting with outstanding investors, high-performing individuals, and visionaries operating in the real estate space. These are the people that are actually out there in the real estate game right now getting it done. This podcast aims at bringing anyone's game to the next level. This is the Pre-Real Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the show. We're joined today by Rafael Cortez. Uh, Rafael is the CEO of the Pulse Group. Uh, Rafael is one of these incredibly high-energy entrepreneurs uh, that seems to have this drive that from a very, very young age has absolutely been out there killing it. And, and by the tender age of 23, seem to have accomplished more than most people accomplish in a lifetime. So Raphael,
1: thank you so much for joining us today. James, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, so this is the remix, folks. We, <laughs> we had, uh, for, for whatever reason, uh, our Macs or, or the batteries are melting down. I don't know if anyone else is experiencing that out there, but we got everything teed up, the, it crashed, and we had to reboot. So we're going to redo part one here. So why is the fun. Yeah, right. (laughs) This is uh, not norm, but why not? Let's get a little extra time together. So you're you're born and raised uh, in Yuma, Arizona. um, And you're described as a a second generation entrepreneur. Can, Can you just speak to the audience about what you mean there?
1: Uh, yeah, so uh, I was raised by, by a single mom, and um, this is a border town, so I actually grew up in a border town, which is San Luis, it's a little bit further south of Yuma, um, but nobody knows that town, everybody just kind of connects Yuma, right? Anyway, so it's a border town, um, she was a single, or she is a, a she, she raised me as a single mom, and, and she set up her shop, so she had a mom and pop, like, little grocery store in Mexico, uh, so when I grew up, I, I grew up thinking that owning your own thing was a that was a norm, that was a regular thing to do. Um, so yeah, I mean that's that's why I I feel like a lot of stuff that I'm doing, the curiosity that I have, and the drive that I have, and, and whatnot, it's really adopted from from um, the stuff that I saw growing up. I mean, she would you know kind of do whatever she wanted with her schedule because she had uh, you know my aunt's working in the same uh, you know grocery store and whatnot, and and uh, she she got to the point where she owned her options, right? At her, in her little, you know, sphere. Um, and again, I thought that was the normal thing. So it, uh, one way or another, you know, you, you get conditioned, right? To, to think a certain way as you're growing up. And I think that's, that was a big, big factor.
0: Yeah, so uh, also a, a, a product of a single mom. Um, it imprinted on me at a very, very early age that if you worked all hours of the day and you were kind of always on call, that was, as you had said, that's just the norm, right? This becomes right. part of of the DNA in, in how we operate. So uh, at the age of 14, you got your first job at a locally local grocery store. And, and as I've already learned, that wasn't mom's grocery store. You went out and got, got the job at a separate grocer, right? Right, right, right.
1: Yeah, at that point, um, she was... Um... Uh, she had already sold the grocery store and we we're doing something, you know, some other stuff. Uh, and I, I just went out there and got a job as a, the produce kid, but I was 14 years old. And, and I remember uh, it was really kind of like the first thing that exposed me to the real world because every Tuesday they would have these massive produce sales. Mm -hmm. um and I had to perform like I had they didn't care I was 14 years old I had to come in and then keep the stuff clean keep it stocked and then uh do the thing when they were having you know massive massive sales So there was a lot of traffic on those days um and when I went in when I started working for that uh company there was a manager the produce manager was there two weeks later the guy quits and they just left me by myself so I (laughs) I was running the thing uh for a good six eight months um and I mean, that, that was, interesting. It was interesting. Now, did, did you recall having a, a real sense of pride in doing this at that age? you know what 100 percent, 100 percent. i remember thinking and feeling really good uh every time you know that i crushed it like okay cool yeah this is on point this is my area like this is my kingdom um you know where all the bananas go and all that stuff you know it's my it's my responsibility right it was like the first time that i really kind of assumed the responsibility of something um so i mean it, it is, it's produce in the grand scheme of things, right? It's just a, a section of the store. Uh, but to me, I mean, it, it meant something big, right? I had a responsibility for that lady that was walking into the store. Um, and I don't know, it, it, I think we, again, going back to, to uh, mom having that shop, it, it's customer service was always, you know, at, at the top of the priorities. And and I just carried on and, and I got to use it there. Right. And then, I mean, long story short, how you do one thing is how you do everything, but um, those behaviors and those habits really get ingrained in you and you grow up doing bigger things just in the same format.
0: So do you think that can be taught?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You do. Yeah, I do. I, I think uh, there's, a. I mean, we, we have, we're a combination, right? We're a combination of natural behaviors. And, and learned behaviors or borrowed behaviors. So then you probably heard me, classical conditioning, right? That stuff that we are exposed to is stuff that we adopt and we start to uh, model our behaviors uh, and habits after that kind of stuff. Um, now, with that being said, if you're around a, an environment where you know nobody's producing, it doesn't matter if you're the smartest tool in the shed, uh, nothing's gonna happen. There's gotta be a combination of the two, right? Um, and on the opposite side of the token to kind of, you know, address your question, I think that if you put yourself in a space where you're surrounded by people who are producing, where you're surrounded by people who are thinking bigger than you are, uh, where you're surrounded by doers and people who are actually taking action, you, that's going to rub off on you. So it's, it's totally something that can be learned. Um, and, um, better, better, even it, it's, it's, uh, it can be, you can borrow motivation from somebody else. Um, if you, if you just put yourself in that, you know, type of space.
0: So, uh, uh and I want to take a deep yeah. dive into this after we, we catch up on the history, but you're an organ organizational psychologist and you do coaching, uh, which for us has had a profound effect on everything that we do. And I really want to take a, a deep dive into what an organizational psychologist does and and how you're able to, to reach in and untap some of that potential. We have found uh, more times than not, uh, and many of the, the, I think the external factors have a, a lot to do with it, but uh, people seem to, people change and people grow, but you can't change the stripes. You know, uh, we have found at least that uh, more times than not, um, one of the great disappointments for me in life, really a, a real disappointment was I, I used to look up to my elders and I, I just mm-hmm. assumed that there was this profound wisdom that came with uh, with getting older and, and becoming an adult. And we found that that is just not the case. Uh, a, a lot of the, the folks that Uh, we came up with that had certain behaviors at an early age uh, were unable to or unwilling to uh, explore, you know, themselves and unlock and change some of those behaviors. So I'm really interested to, to dive into how you're doing that and, and the benefits from it. But before we get there, I want the audience to understand, okay, it's not just a kid who got a job at 14. Uh, from 15 to 18, you had a bunch of jobs, right? You, you, you were kind of running around hard labor, uh, construction, supervisory positions in retail. You, you ran quite the gamut here.
1: Yeah, it, it was an interesting time. I mean, I and again, I, th- I feel lucky that I was a uh, uh, I was able to put myself in and around people who were doing bigger things. Right. So I I, I was thinking or I was I was conditioned to think like like an older kid. Uh, not a 14 year old kid. All my friends were like the people who I was actually hanging out with uh, were, you know, 17, 18 year old kids. Um, I, I was a police explorer. I, I became a police explorer, which is kind of like the Boy Scouts, but for the police department and that uh, the average age in that group was 18 years old. So that's the, you know, the, uh, the people who I spent most of my time with, right. You have 18 year old kids and then you have cops. Uh, and then when you're done with that, you go to school. And after that you go to work and it was just, kind of, it became a routine, but I, I got exposed to just different ways of um or different interests you know very early on and uh, and yeah from that I I uh, I spent a few years in the police explorers and and had a lot of fun there and and ended up uh being uh becoming a fireman <laughs> and,
0: and you were the youngest <laughs> is it true you were the youngest firefighter in Yuma County yeah.
1: ever yeah well I mean not ever I'm sure there's somebody else you know f- but at that point I was the youngest uh firefighter there I mean I literally turned 19 um, and, uh, on my birthday, that's, you know, I was working there when I turned 19, I was, I was a fireman in, wow, in, in Yuma. And, um, and yeah, it was, it was interesting because I would show up to uh, fire, you know, to the fire scenes and EMS scenes and whatnot. And people would look at this 19 year old kid, like, are you taking my vital? We're like, what are you doing? Where's your dad? Uh, so, <laughs> so it was just, you know, an interesting experience, but again, just putting myself in, in, in the path. Um, of, of just people who knew more than, than I did, uh, putting myself in the pad. Like, for example, captains loved me because I was, I was always asking questions. And, and, you know, I think if I were to say that I have a virtue, it's curiosity. It's, it's, it's yeah, I mean, I, I, I work a lot. I mean, I, I know a thousand guys that can work just as hard uh, as I do, right? Um, but I think curiosity has been one thing that's led me uh, to, to the experiences that I've been able to have. It's just, I'm just curious about things. Like, I wonder how that works. I wonder how this conversation can go. I I wonder what else can be done here. And, and what if, what if that, what if question and and being inquisitive about stuff, I think it's one of the things that has really positioned me, um, it just in the path of things and then taking action. Right.
0: (laughs) So uh, while you were uh, with the fire department, any close calls or any kind of profound
1: experiences? Oh Yeah. 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 I had a, I had a few, um, uh, one time I had a roof on, on, on my head I have the, the helmet actually, is it? It's here. Let me, let me pull it up. Give me a sec. Yeah,
0: sure. <sighs> oh, wow.
1: Right there. There's a crack on the back of this helmet, uh, from a, uh, from a roof. It just wow. landed on the, on the back of my, uh, my head. It took me out. Um, I, I was, I was out for a little bit. I mean, it wasn't one of those, uh, you know, near death experiences, I think, but it, I mean, it was scary. Definitely scary. I was 19 years old. I passed out and, you know, a few minutes later I woke up, but it was during a fireground uh, uh, scene and it was interesting, but you know, one thing that you do, uh, learn is to appreciate stuff. Uh, you see a lot of stuff. I mean, more than, than the stuff that happens, uh, to us, as individuals in the firehouse, right? We, we get exposed to a lot of things. We get exposed to a lot of tragedies. We get exposed to a lot of accidents, people losing everything in a matter of an afternoon. And it's, I mean, it really is impossible not to, you know, put yourself in, in, the, um, in, in the gratitude space. I mean, you walk away from that, like, wow, I, got, I have a car, I have a home to go to tonight, didn't burn down. Um, man, yeah. this person just died on that scene. I mean, they, they were going to lunch and they passed. Uh, so stuff like that. And it really hits you, right? Especially, I mean, I think um, when, when you're seeing that stuff uh, on a, I mean, regular basis, really, uh, it's, it makes you grateful. Like it helps you become more grateful about the stuff that you have, the opportunities that you have, uh, the people around you. Um, and it's, it's a thing of beauty at the end of the day. <laughs> Perspective, really brother. Yeah, absolutely. Perspective. perspective. Yeah.
0: So, at, at 21, you you began your first, I guess, the official entrepreneurial project, right?
1: Yeah. Um, I uh, so I launched it. I launched it when I was 21. I started building the business plan when I was, or putting together a business plan when I was around 20. Uh, but it's a non-emergency medical transportation. Business. It's a long title, but basically what it is, it's a wheelchair and stretcher patient, uh, on, not emergency patient uh, transport uh, system. So we would take people to and from medical appointments, you know, doctors visits, dialysis, and that kind of stuff. But they need either a wheelchair or a stretcher, right? And um, they used to um, take a, uh, a unit, an actual ambulance out of service to go do that, so you're taking an emergency vehicle. It's gonna cost you know thousands of dollars to your taxpayers, uh, just to take it out of service for an hour when it's not something that's an emergency. And you have your your crew out, your vehicle out. Um, so I started seeing that gap in Yuma, and but the market wasn't big enough. So I moved um, a, a couple of. I started working my you know, just relationships and building that kind of stuff here in Phoenix. I'm in Phoenix now. Um, and I launched the business, I actually launched it in, uh, in Phoenix instead of Yuma.
0: So was that uh, idea born out of your experiences in the fire department or was this separate path completely?
1: I, I can't take full credit. I, I was, uh, honestly, I was having a beer with one of my captains uh, and uh, we, were, we were talking, it's like, we have 20, um, you know, 24 hours every other day. Uh, and Hmm. there's something that can be done right like a lot of firefighters have a contractor's license and they have a side hustle they have a you know a side gig um and it's just you know what we do because we have a day on day off day on day off and then you get a kelly days which are four days consecutive of just not working right so like, there's got to be something that that uh, you know can be done there and uh, and we started uh, talking he's like i'm gonna set up a mortuary um, you know, we started, you know, kind of bouncing around ideas, and he says, uh, "You know what, other business would be good." And he goes, uh, uh, "A medical transportation business." So uh, fast forward, you know, a few years, and and he's he owns two mortuaries in in uh, funeral homes in in Yuma, um, and I I built that company, I sold that company already, but um, I had it for ten years. So I mean, wow, it, it was a very productive meeting. <laughs> yeah, I
0: would say so. That's a hell of a beer. Yeah, it's a hell of a
1: beer. So
0: how do you make the jump from medical transport to real estate and, and several derivative uh, operations? You, you've got uh, several organizations underneath the Pulse Group. Uh, where, where does that connection
1: come in? So um, I, I launched, I, I got my first paid client. So when I launched, I started working on the business, like I said, and putting it all together, but I got my first paid client in 2007. Um, and that's when I, you know, jumped into the transportation industry. Uh, I, I did well. I landed a couple of contracts with, uh, with the government and, and uh, I grew the company. So uh, by 2009, I had some cash just, you know, built from that. And I want to replace it somewhere. Uh, I don't know a thing about real estate. Um, I mean, I've heard, you know, that you come in and then fix. All I knew about real estate was the construction work that I had done prior uh, which was framing houses and then dropping concrete and that kind of stuff. I didn't know how any any of it worked. Uh, so two thousand nine, I was like, you know, what? I'm gonna do a flip. I can, you know, I can swing a hammer. Let's let's just go ahead and take on my first flip. Um, and and the business started running right. So it was, I mean, I had dispatchers, I had drivers, um, I had, I already had a, a, you know, a good, a good solid, you know, size fleet at that point um so i had some time on my hands to just do something else and i went into real estate did a couple of flips um and yeah so 2009 2010 uh, the prices were crazy uh 2011 even you could buy properties for a fraction like 10% of where you can buy them right now um so i did a few of those and then i came across uh, wholesaling um and uh i mean that just made a, a ton of sense to me, it made a ton. I, I didn't really like dealing with, I was already dealing with enough people in the trans- transportation business, you know, drivers and mechanics and people in the, in the team. Uh, and then dealing with, uh, you know, contractors and subs and, and handyman and whatnot, it was like, it was becoming heavy, right? And then I came across wholesaling. I was like, wait, you can do, uh, you can sell your vested interest in the property and, and you, I don't have to, I can make a profit and I don't have to worry about, you know, swinging hammers or any of that stuff. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I just, I, I took that as my, uh, my big MO <laughs> and, uh, and I've been you know, doing wholesaling and I still flip. So we cherry pick flips, but we mainly focus on, on wholesaling. So okay. uh,
0: can, can you walk the audience through what is wholesaling? It's like uh, the buzzword, right? We hear now mm. everybody's wholesaling. What exactly is wholesaling?
1: So, so wholesaling, it's uh, when you, when you find a property from a distressed seller, there's gotta be some type of distress. There's a problem that's in place, right? Uh, You find a property and you buy it, you have to buy it under um, at a discount. So you buy it at a big discount and then you take that contract. Now you have a signed contract with the seller and you take that contract and you sell the contract to uh, a cash buyer. Somebody who's going to come in and actually flip it. Right. But there's in between that, Um, there's a, there's a, there's a a space for, for profit, uh, which is an assignment fee. So you take that assignment fee. Uh, Let's say for the sake of numbers that you find a property that's worth a hundred thousand in the market. Right. And then you go to a seller, need some rehab, a little bit of work here and there and whatnot. um, And you buy it for 60,000. You sell that contract to somebody who's going to come in and fix it. Uh, but you sell it, uh, you sell it to them for 70,000 and you keep that spread of 10,000 for yourself. So it, it's, uh, you're not selling the actual property. That's the, t- the technicality of it. You're selling your vested interest in that contract.
0: And then the new buyer is actually executing on the contract and closing.
1: Exactly. So you use their money to close on that transaction. It's not, a, if you do an assignment, you're not putting any money out of your pocket. Um, it's It's low entry to barrier. You just got to know how to do it, right? Uh, So it doesn't require a lot of uh, of capital to to get going on that. And once you have a good system in place, you can, um, I mean, you can really create a a machine that's pumping out leads, pumping out sellers. Uh, If you become really good at negotiating, uh, which is what I dove um, headfirst into in 2013, uh, I mean, it really makes a big, big impact on, on the results that you get.
0: So. Sure. So the uh, in in a very few sentences there you described what what I know being intimately involved in the business is an extraordinarily complex accomplishment, right? To to put together a, a system that is finding the opportunities, generating those leads, giving you the chance to go in and close those leads, making sure that you have the right contracts with the right language in it and then You've got to work the other side of it, and you've got to find the counterpart that's willing to come in and step into your shoes, replace your deposit, and that they've got the right language in the contract so they can go execute on it. Right. How, how did you build an infrastructure like this without having significant experience in the market?
1: Well, I, I, I mean, I went to YouTube University. I started listening to podcasts, and I mean. Uh... I, again, I get curious about something and, and I get obsessed almost, you know, to a point. Um, so I did that at the beginning. I actually started listening to, uh, to Sean Terry's, uh, podcast, flip to freedom podcast. And I think it was 2012. Um, And, and I kept like, when I bought, when I was buying homes for, for fix and flip, I, I kept seeing assignment fees. I never questioned it. I mean, I didn't know what it was like, all right, just sell me the house. That's my price. That's, you know, and I kept seeing assignment fees, assignment fees. And, 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 uh, later I find out that, you know, there's a middleman from the seller to me. Right. And they're making that assignment fee. Uh, and I mean, a lot of times those were, those were big fat assignment fees. You're talking 20, 20, uh, 15, $20,000 markups. Um, and, um, Long story short, I I I, um, I go to a I want to get better, and I go to a, um, a real estate uh, seminar, a rich dad poor dad seminar. They they talk about wholesaling for about maybe twenty minutes. They really dive deep into it, or they kind of mentioned it, but it was just enough for me to get you know interested, right? So what do I do after that? I um, I leave. I start looking into it. That's when I come across all the podcasts, and um, I closed I closed I think two or three deals. Um, uh, wholesale deals uh, after that. And it took me a couple of months, but uh, I signed up on everybody's uh, email list, right. For properties. And, and I get an email and it's coming from Sean Terry. Uh, it's I'm on his mailing list and he's looking for an acquisitions rep in Maricopa County. I was like, wait, I'm in Maricopa County. Um, and at that point I was kind of done with the transportation business. I wanted to sell it and I was still doing both things. Um, so I, I, I'm thinking like, okay, I want to dive into this. I want to cut the learning curve. Um, and if I can do it by going to work somewhere where I can get, you know, you know, trial by fire and really learn from the best. I mean, that's what you know, that's, what's going to happen. And, and yeah, I met, I met with them. Um, he, Brought me on on the spot. I uh, ended up selling my company, a transportation business. I sold it a few months later, uh, and I, I started running acquisitions. So I went from being my own boss uh, to working for somebody. Right, but there was a there wasn't um, a uh, a goal to this whole thing. I I wanted mm-hmm. to learn more about it. I want to be want to be more you know in it, neck deep into it. So I mean long story short, I I spent, uh, just under three years doing acquisitions for Sean Terry. And, uh, and I mean, I got exposed to so many seller appointments. I was able to practice everything that I was learning at that point. I went back to, uh, to school and I was working on my second uh, master's degree in psychology so I was doing a lot of things at the same time but I was pr- everything in my head was connecting right everything in my head was okay this has a lot psychology has a lot to do with sales uh, sales uh, I mean it's the, the backbone of having a good wholesaling business in place uh, and then you you know tie in business and my experience in building that other company and fine-tuning processes and stuff like that so it was all just kind of taking shape. Um, from that point forward, it's just like one thing kind of led to the other. I ended up um, um, after I left uh, Sean's uh, or uh, Sean's company, I, I launched a brokerage. So I opened up a brokerage. I already had my real estate license at that point. Um, and then um, set up my uh, I went back to doing wholesaling and then fixing and flipping and having that which is Pulse capital. Uh, so now I have Pulse Capital, Pulse Realty and Associates, and then CEO Pulse, which is my organizational psychology practice. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it's kind of like a, a big rundown of how it all came together. But um, the, uh, the brokerage would have not have, uh, had happened if I wasn't doing wholesaling. Uh, the opportunity just you know, came about because we monetize leads, right? So now we have leads. We have people that we're bringing in. What do we do with those leads if they don't want right. to do a, a wholesale deal? We push right. them over to the retail side. Yeah. So, like this little ecosystem of of, of yeah, uh, real estate, yeah. Yeah.
0: So, so they they uh, the thing I love most maybe about real estate is that uh, no day is ever exactly the same, and there are several opportunities within the opportunities. Right? There's oh, yeah. there's a lot of different ways you can monetize this this industry if you, if you have all of the disciplines pulled under one roof. Uh, right. So, uh, if you could describe for the audience. Uh, you said you cherry pick some, why would, what's the incentive or what are the reasons that you landed on, on the wholesaling side instead of the full execution side?
1: Um, It's easier. Transactions are a lot faster. I mean, you can be in and out of a deal in two, three weeks. Uh, meaning that you get it locked up and then you find a buyer for it. You push it, you clear title, and then you get paid. And, and uh, if you know how to negotiate deals, right. I mean, you're talking big, big spreads. Um, I think our average right now, our average spread is around $32,000 per deal, uh, which is, I mean, it's a good healthy spread, right? We have a very specific way of negotiating deals and, and, and working it from both sides on the seller side and on the buyer side. Uh, and at the end of the day, like it still makes sense for the flip. Um, so I I mean I got to practice a lot of that a lot of those closings and 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 putting it together so it just makes um, you know I'd rather make thirty thousand dollars in three weeks than maybe forty five in in two months right. um, so yeah that's one of the things uh, whenever we do have a deal that's okay that it's like a wholesale type of stuff we don't do full fix and flip you know full gut jobs and remodel it's not it's not my wheelhouse. Um, we're, we're doing speed. So we, we go into deals for speed. We can come in and then rehab something in a couple of weeks and then put it out in the next couple of weeks and, and do a total whole time right now, the market's fast. So we'll hold the property for two months, two and a half and it's, it's gone. Right. Uh, but if, uh, if it's something like that, that's going to be relatively easy to do. And, 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 and it makes sense. Uh, the numbers make sense. Yeah. We'll absolutely do a wholesale on it or fix and flip it. Um, to ramp up the profits another thirty forty thousand dollars.
0: And your are are you focusing on like one typology, one specific type of uh, product that you're looking to negotiate these deals on, or is it a wide?
1: wide variety. No, no, we've done everything from raw land to mobile homes, to single family, uh, you know, multifam. And, and, you know, if the numbers are, are there, uh, we have a pretty solid buyers list. I've been building that list for years and, and um, it's responsive, right? So we, when we get deals through the door, I mean, we're, they, they move, they usually, they hardly ever linger uh, or we have to reach out to co wholesalers sellers and whatnot, but uh, we have a very si- a systematic approach of dis- uh, displaying the deals. And that helps out because we have um, uh, se- uh, we have so not selected. What's the word I'm trying to find the word? Uh, we have um, segmented. That's the word. We have segmented um, buyers, right? So we have buyers that are you know specific for land, and mm-hmm. you know some other you know want commercial, some other want you know, just residential. So we break it down and, and we'll do a good relationship building throughout, you know, the the process and whatnot and and reach out to these people and push them. But yeah, if the numbers are there, we'll, yeah, we'll make it happen.
0: So uh, at the end of the day, nothing
1: works on the wholesaling side
0: if you're not buying the deal, right?
1: So yeah, you make the money on the purchase and, and, and and here, I mean, here's the thing, right? It's um, you you can have, again, you can have the, the best um, you know, system of the best CRM, the best you know, whatever you want to you know, put together in your business. But, but if you don't have the skill set and the soft skills required uh, to, to apply that action and bring forth those results, nothing's going to happen. I mean, it, it's, it really comes down to that.
0: So how are you uh, so accurately comping out such a wide variety of, of
1: asset types? Mm-hmm. Um, we use a couple of different services. One, the the one that we use in Maricopa County, we'll use the MLS. My brokerage is in Arizona, so we have access to to the MLS. We use this as a backbone market. So we're buying properties, we're doing deals in Maricopa County, um, which is very competitive. Um, there's still a lot of opportunity out there. So uh, for that stuff, we'll use our, our brokerage resources. Uh, anything that's out, because we'll do virtual as well. Uh, we'll do batch leads uh, we'll comp properties using batch leads. We love that service. They have great data. Um, same stuff for skip tracing. Um, so I highly recommend that, uh, that service for that kind of stuff.
0: So, um, you're <clears throat> identifying the deals you you've broken out your leads similar to how we do it. Um, cause someone that's looking to buy, uh, of one family fix and flip is not the same person that's looking at raw land. It's not the same person that's right. looking to buy a, a, a multi million dollar shopping center. You're right. targeting your lists as uh, the typology fits. You're copying these things out through local resources and some third party sites.
1: Are you buying anything out of state or is everything localized? No, out of state, we'll stick to wholesaling. We won't flip. Um, I'm not holding out of state either uh, yet. So it's it just I have different things in the burner. I'm building a, a software right now for for um, it's a full operating system for wholesaling. Uh, so I'm caught in that project and I have a couple other things going on. Uh, so outside will strictly I mean, right now, the model that we have is just push it. We'll assign the deal, double close on it, double escrows. So, know, I, so. I,
0: I don't know if there's a space I'm more excited for. We're also uh, developing proprietary software. Mm. I feel like that is 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 the the one place where there's absolutely it feels like unlimited opportunity and insane growth opportunity
1: absolutely i think so man i I, I think there's uh there there's a lot of stuff out there but what this is what happens right this is what happens a lot of tools that we use as investors um, a lot of them are put together by by coders right they're put together by i mean the code is done by coders but um, the actual infrastructure, the flow, the the model of the business, the model of software is put together by somebody who knows code. Uh, they're, you know these people are engineers, they you know they, they work well that way, but they haven't done the business. A lot of these nope. people have no idea uh, you know, how a wholesale transaction works, how, you know, where the little gaps are going to be in, uh, how a fix and flip works, uh, and where you know, you're going to have deficiencies and you're going to have bottlenecks in the process. If you're sitting down and thinking theoretical about anything, right, you can write three books on that thing. Uh, just by the stuff that comes into your into your brain, right? Ideas, uh, but until you put it into practice and you're actually in the trench doing the work, that's what we, the real questions don't come up. And I think that's a, it's one of the big things that are uh, uh, that we're lacking in the space of of technology, like in in real estate specifically, right? In, in uh, investments, so. Uh, yeah I'm, I'm uh, my thing I, it's not going to be a lead generation thing I'm focusing on uh, operating system I want uh, and I actually have it I actually uh, I house I house the 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 model I house it inside Podio so I have Podio set up and it, it really runs the the entirety of my business uh, so I'm taking that and doing a standalone software but I it's uh, you have to do Um, a lot of stuff, a lot of, you know, you have to be in it consistently to fine tune, to be able to see how you can lean it out, how you can make it better and improve it. Right. And you, you can't see that from if you're not in the business.
0: So the we're (laughs) at in a really unique time where there are those of us that grew up with enough technology. um, So we, we've got a good base. We understand it, but we've also been deal makers long enough where if your software does not fit into a deal maker's workflow, it will not get used, period. Right. And they, the people that are putting these, it's crazy to me, we see all the time, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars that are raised. And these programs are being built out by folks who wouldn't know a real estate deal if they tripped over it. And yeah. while on paper, it sounds great, And it feels like it's a wonderful solution when you sit down and you actually try and interface at the speed and the tone and tempo of the way we operate in the business, they don't work.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't translate. Um, So I I see that quite a bit and what I'm, my, my, my background, and especially because of uh, my psychology background, business psychology background, is it's people in systems, right? It's hiring the right, you know, the right butts in the right seats and then um, assigning the right tasks and, and knowing how to hire. So putting all of that stuff together in an operating system that runs the business, uh, it, I mean, to me, it's, it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. Yeah. We have CRMs. They usually you have you'll have a CRM that's not really a CRM. It's like lead generation thing, uh, or, or it's you know a transaction coordination thing or something like that. But it's not really a um, an operating system for the business. It's a segmented tool. Um, so what I'm working on is is it's the whole thing. I'm, I'm, I'm selling the machine. <laughs> I love it. I love it.
0: So as you're scaling now, this, this wholesale operation, the demands for capital start to skyrocket, right? So mm-hmm. are you taking in outside? Are you doing raises? Or how are you backstopping the increased
1: flow? No, actually, we have a pretty uh, controlled uh, marketing budget. And um, the the way that it works, and I, I don't know if, if you're okay with this, I can break it down, but I, I break yeah. the business down in six sections. So um, I have a, a philosophy, I call it the less business, more profits uh, philosophy, but less is in lean, effective, strategic, and simple, right? So you have, you have um, um, lean processes, uh, strategic vision, um, effective um, models, and, and at the end of the day, you have you know, easy to understand accountability. So it just encompasses everything. Uh, less business, more profits, lean effects, strategic and simple. And what happens when you have a business that's running like that, uh, you'll recognize the bottlenecks. You'll recognize, okay, where am I getting stuck? Where am I having redundancies? Where am I spending money that I'm, uh, I'm not supposed to be spending? Uh, we track, K- I mean, we have KPI galore. You know, we have KPI parties every Tuesday, uh, so we track all the metrics and and the navigators and the KPIs of the business of what happened with this particular marketing campaign. Are we getting a good ROI? Um, and we follow you know scorecards and 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 we're very adamant about having a systematic approach to all that. Uh, but it uh, it helps in the overhead. Now we're putting money out there for marketing, and again, uh, you make the money when you're when you're locking the deal, right? So we want to make sure that we have. Um, the, that the people who are trained to do the, uh, the negotiation per se, um, they are, that's what they're doing. They're not cold calling. They're not, you know, they're focused on that, on that particular role. One thing that I see is, is, um, people usually want to, you know, I want to scale, quote unquote scale, right? Um, I want to get bigger. I want to hire. I need to bring people in and they'll have somebody who's really good in acquisitions and then they'll have them cold call for eight hours. Uh, and that's, I mean, you're breaking uh, the, the, the behavioral strengths of that, of that um, employee or that team member. They're being broken down with something that it's not their highest and best. So to get around that and really optimize the, uh, the um, minimize the overhead and optimize the, the efficiencies are, uh, I break it down like this. So we have a sourcing, right? We have a sourcing stage, stage one of the business. You start sourcing uh, the leads. That's all it is sourcing. It's not pre-qualifying. It's not negotiating. None of that. Um, There's specific um, people that fit into that role. You have cold callers. um, If you're doing PPC kind of stuff, you have, you know, SMS, you're sourcing. But we keep it separate from lead gen and and acquisitions because there's a lot of um, turnover. Uh, People switch cold callers, I mean, every other Sunday it's just the reality of the business right you're not gonna you're, you're not gonna have the same quality team member in a cold caller than you are somebody who's just an absolute assassin when it comes to locking deals and negotiating it's just not the same behavioral strengths we're not why we're wired differently for each one of those roles so you have to find the right person for each one of those so we source at stage one stage two <clears throat> i have lead managers and she'll pre-qualify so she'll go through uh you know condition motivation timeline and, and the price of the property pre-qualify um, and if this turns into a prospect, then it gets sent over to my acquisitions reps. Um, so my, my role, I want to see enough prospects, uh, on the acquisition reps, um, desk, right. I want to see them inside, inside our operating system. We have a number. I want to make sure they have enough people to they talk to. If they don't have enough people that they can talk to, because we have this process, I go back. Okay. And, um, I can identify what's happening. Like, is it, uh, because we're not converting, right. Are we not pre-qualifying, Right. Does the lead manager have enough leads to pre-qualify? If they do, then it's a conversion problem, right? If they don't, it's a sourcing problem. And I can backtrack it and really like pinpoint the origin of it and, and get rid of those bottlenecks. So uh, stage three is its acquisitions. Uh, when we make offers, we find multiple ways of monetizing on leads. We make a wholesale offer. Uh, we'll move on to an option offer if that doesn't work. Uh, if it doesn't work, we'll do creative financing. If that doesn't work, we'll push it over to the brokerage side, right? So we have multiple ways of, being the solution for that seller. Uh, and at this point, the seller has already had two conversations, one with the cold caller, and then one with my lead manager for the pre-qualification process. So they're, I mean, they're not all the way there, but you know what I mean? There's something that we can have a conversation about. And it keeps my acquisition team rolling uh, on follow-ups, on new leads, on prospects. If that number drops, uh, I know that I got ramp up marketing or fine-tune the conversion. One of the two. It's simple, right? When you have a system in place. Now, if I had $100,000 and I was going to throw it all into marketing, yeah, you're going to get a bunch of leads, but where are your bottlenecks? Like That's where a lot of people miss the, uh, miss the mark, right? Um, yeah, I'm getting a ton of leads. I don't know where they're coming from. I don't know if they're qualified I don't know what's happening you know, to them as the process goes. So first three stages, we do that. The fourth one is going to be Dispo. Uh, we, come, we come in and then we have a couple of different strategies on the Dispo side to maximize the, the, the profits, the assignment fees. Um, and then we get paid right after the Dispo stage. Most businesses stop there. Uh, we actually have a, a stage five, which is uh, measuring, and stage six, which is improving. Every single deal, we'll do a, we'll do a breakdown or the team does a breakdown. Okay, what happened in this deal? We closed on it and our revenue was $32,000. Uh, was that, you know, what if? What if we have done this, had done this on, on that deal? Could we have taken 40? Uh, what if we had marketed this way? Could we have, you know, and, and new SOPs come out of that, new processes. Uh, you come in you adopt them if they make sense and then you'd run them to the, to the next um, to the next deal and that's the improving so we have those six stages boom 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 Sourcing, converting, pre-qualifying uh, acquisitions dispo measuring and improving that same process on every single one of the deals uh, builds a, a machine and anytime something is a little off you can go back um, and then um, fine-tune you know where the bottlenecks are uh, it really keeps the overhead low. <laughs> I, well, I, you.
0: <laughs> I have to say uh, I'm blown away by by your process. So the hardest thing to do is scale. And yeah. we find over and over and over, I am number one guilty of this. Uh, in the past, we have spent so much time working in the business that we're not working on the business. Yeah. You have put immense energy on working on the business as opposed to in the business. And by that, I mean, when you're, you're quickly rattling through this process and, and KPIs, key performance indicators, and you're looking at uh, if there's a drop in leads, it's not just go throw a bunch of money at marketing, which specific types of leads was the fallout? Why was the fallout? Uh, all of these incremental steps incredibly, optimize the bottom line and make you incredibly efficient how the hell did you get to a point where you were able to graduate from being in the business to on the business so quickly
1: uh, well it wasn't it wasn't that quickly um, but I brought in uh, Renee he's my uh, director of operations uh, he handles dispo and I brought him in a couple of years ago so I started uh, I, I never I never delegate. Anything that uh, that uh, I don't I don't want to say I'm an expert on, but I don't at least know enough about it to be dangerous in it. Uh, So I I have to go through the process. And um, one one thing that I'm really good at is is documenting everything Uh, as I'm doing things as I'm doing new things. Okay, this is how I did it. Uh, and I'll write it down. I'll do a quick little video about, you know, about whatever it is that I'm doing. I can come back and now it's training material, right? But more importantly, you come back and then you revisit what you're doing. Um, so it's, it's having an active uh, learning mentality and that curiosity. Okay, what if, okay, what if instead of uh, asking for EMD of, of $5,000, what if I do, I don't know, $3,000 EMD and a shorter close of escrow? Uh, you know, does that improve my, you know, length of the deal? you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, and just playing with it, fine tuning. And so, again, something happens, something, you know, works, you take it, you adopt it, and then you drop it into your SOPs, your, your standard operating procedure. So your, your business model, uh, but having a good, uh, a good process and in, uh, in, in terms of, of protocols and what to do. I, I mean, that really does it. It's going to take you 15, 20 minutes extra to record a video um, when you're doing something, when you're going through a deal, when you're filling out a contract to send it out to a seller. So if uh, if you're putting, here's the thing: the hustle is going to get us to to uh, from point A to point B, right? But hustle is it's season. It's not it's not a business strategy. Uh, it, it's it's not sustainable. You're going to burn out if you're always in that hustle state. Uh, you're always trying to figure things out, right? It's, hustle is is it's connected with with figuring things out and kind of shooting from the hip. I'm hustling through things. I'm trying to find the next deal. I don't know where, but I'm gonna hustle so I can get it. And there's this glorified sense of, of you know, righteousness of, you know, from living in the hustle, which is all fine and dandy for the first couple of years. Why? Because we need that vibe, we need that traction, we need that energy. We need that, you know, that uh, thing to just propel us and push us to, you know, forward, right? So having a hustle um, a mentality is a good thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying it's not sustainable. Uh, Soon enough, you have to jump into something that's going to set up your systems. The freedom really is in the systems. it's really cool when you're in Costa Rica and you're looking at a deal that just closed, it's $40,000, $42,000 just went into your account. Um, you can't do that without systems. You can't do that without a team that knows what they're doing and that they can take uh, responsibility for what and owning yeah, the results, right? Um, you may have the best you know, kind-hearted people in your team, but if, if there's no fundamental um, uh, process that they can follow... And, and, you know, step one, step two, in a linear type of way, you're going to lose them. Why? Because people get confused. People do not uh, operate well, you know, in, in in places where there's confusion, there's, you can scale a system, a process, or you can scale chaos. I mean, it really comes down to that.
0: Without a doubt, uh, you know, something you touched on earlier. uh, Also, again, I give you a lot of credit for it because typically people don't, don't understand this until it's. It's much further down the line and they've done a lot of damage in their organization. We call it operating in the gift. Um, you, you You referenced it in the context of not taking a deal maker that is a fine tuned machine, right? A deal maker is a special breed and dropping them into eight hour cold calling sessions every day. Um, Is this stuff that you learned through the psych, the the psychology classes and the degree that you took, or where did all of this start to to weave its way in?
1: Yeah. So I've been, I've been playing with, uh, with this. Well, I mean, some people like video games. I like, I like psychology. And uh, I, I dove into uh disc assessments and profiles very early on. I mean, I'm talking about maybe 2009. That's when I kind of got exposed to that. Um, and, and we're all algorithms. Psychologically, we're algorithms, right? Uh, we are wired uh, in, in certain ways. So there's, we have natural tendencies. We had natural, um, natural cycle, um, natural behavioral strengths that were just kind of you know come out of the womb out of the box we are just wired that uh with those now to that you add on learned behaviors you add on you know different skill sets you add on exposure you had you know your parents had tenacity you borrowed tenacity right um but we're, we're going to be naturally wired for something and uh when you're when you're able to hire based on on the strengths of what the role needs here, here's one thing that happens and and um let me know what you think about this but the, here's one thing that happens people will do for example a personality assessment for hiring right and they're like oh cool i like this i like this person but they'll do the personality for um they'll hire for the um for for the person as opposed to the the uh the qualifications of the actual role uh meaning if you have somebody who's an introvert who's very uh you know, they're not social. They, they like, you know, to have that steady, you know, slower, more controlled, more predictable space to operate in. Mm-hmm. You can't put them as an acquisitions rep because that's highly volatile. You're out there all the time. You're engaging with people. It's a people business. It doesn't mean that they can't do it. It doesn't mean that they can't do it. Now, here's the difference. Uh, all it means is that you're going to get burned out. You're going to get tired a lot faster. Uh, for example, um, I'm good with spreadsheets. I, I'm like, uh, I am really good at creating the fancy ones with the, you know, the graphics and then doing all kinds of tricks. I've just been working on spreadsheets forever. But I know that I can only handle spreadsheets for maybe two hours at a time. Um, and then I'm just, I'm fed up. i was like, oh, the hell with this. I need a break, right? Because I'm adapting my behavioral style to the analytical side. Uh, And it's not my natural strength. So um, on the opposite side, you know, the the same is true for somebody who's in acquisitions. If you're familiar with the DISC assessment, you're looking for like your ideal acquisitions rep is going to be somebody who's a high driver uh, and has a a good high secondary um, um, influencer uh, uh, profile or influential profile. So a DI is it's kind of like the the uh, the mold for acquisitions hiring uh your profile is different for lead management uh your profile is going to be different for dispositions you don't need the same behavioral traits or strengths right so if you're able to kind of see that and hire based off of that and then to that you add um you know attitude and you can train for for skill when they already have that uh that wiring uh i mean things just you know flow better uh the attrition that i have is really i mean i we don't have attrition in the, in the business. I mean, it's, we have people that uh, come in um, and they stay, they stay for a long period of time. It's just attrition drops. So I I, I started doing the same thing in the transportation business and um, just kind of paint a picture. Usually the attrition, uh, the average attrition rate, meaning somebody quits, uh, comes in and quits uh, after three months in that industry as a driver, just driving all day long, people in wheelchairs. Uh, So three months, um, my attrition rate was three years that's a retention. That's how long people stayed, but I was hiring based off of, you know, those uh, strengths. Okay. This person fits this role.
0: So are you doing the, <clears throat> those assessments pro D's on the way in, or are you doing this on your own? Who's evaluating? Cause that's a hell of a skill set. Who's I, doing that evaluation?
1: I, I do. Um, I do. So I built um, in the, in the operating system that I have uh, for my company, it's, I built a, just hiring, um, applications. Right. And there there's questions in there. There's short brief questionnaires that give me highlights of what, you know, these people are. Um, and I get an idea of that. And then I have, you know, a couple of other hiring questions in there that are, I mean, they're important just to know information. And then they cross, you're almost cr- like fact checking some of the stuff they're saying, uh, as you're hiring them. So that, uh, that tells you quite a bit. Uh, so we do that within, um, also on the, um, but each one of the roles, like for example, we have, the roles are defined uh, in, in the coaching program that I have, the roles are defined. Uh, so we know what to look for. We know to, uh, where to go get the test or the assessments from, if you don't, if you're not the person that can do it on the fly, um, you know, that's fine. There's still assessments that can give you a good insight of, of where they're at. Now,
0: the coaching program that you've put together, is that specific to wholesaling or is it for other business opportunities
1: as well? No, it's specific to wholesaling. Um, however, the structure works. So once you learn the uh, the, uh, we focus on wholesaling. You know, getting to that first deal and then ramping up from there, different stages of business, um, that sort of thing, right? So um, we focus on on the how how to get the deal in. It's all it's all instruction. It's pragmatic information. Step one, two, and three. It's very linear. So do this, and now do this, now do this, now. There's no ambiguities. Uh, it goes. It's a it's a process, right? Um, that when you have that process down, you can take the same framework. And I have that same framework, and I'm running my brokerage with it. Uh, I run, you know, the fix and Filippo operations we have, you know, we run it the same way with it. Uh, It's just, again, you have this business model in place, and you shift a couple of things. But when you already know how to think, um, like an entrepreneur instead of a hustler, uh, you wire things differently, you wire things better.
0: And now in your course, you're offering all of these different steps and the infrastructure and how to do all of that.
1: Yeah. 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 So we break it down. I mean, we'll get really detailed on, on like individual businesses and people, uh, especially, I mean, not, not everybody's ready to hire right out of the gate, uh, but the time comes and the time comes really, really fast. So it's important to know how to do it uh, when you get, you know, when you get ready for it. And that's what we do. We break it all down. So everything's laid out, but we also have on um, uh, group coaching calls every single week and we break down scenarios and. And uh, believe it or not, we tackle uh, a lot of the, uh, the psychology and the mindset on the, on the real estate training <laughs> calls.
0: Oh, I, I, I believe it. I have to tell you, uh, Raphael, I'm very impressed uh, at the operation that you've put together and how pragmatic you've been in, in building it step by step. I know how difficult it is, um, and I really give you a lot of credit um, by far and away people talk about mindset coaching and people talk about the buzzwords but to yeah. see it in practice at this level is is pretty damn impressive man you should really be proud of what you put together i think it's amazing where to, where do folks find out more information
1: thanks i appreciate it um the uh, so i'm pretty active on in instagram somebody wants to shoot me a message um uh dm or whatever rafael cortez ceo um that's my handle and you can find me everywhere as rafael cortez ceo uh youtube i post a lot of content on youtube i have a uh, podcast on entrepreneurship uh series on wholesaling uh, where i break it all down i mean i just give strategies and tactics on on how to do real estate um uh wholesaling and um yeah i do a lot of videos on on mindset and just entrepreneurial principles as well Uh, that's a youtube channel yeah
0: Uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm real impressed. And, and that doesn't happen very often. You've really got this on lock, man. Congratulations on, on the success. I'm excited to see where you go next and, uh, we'll certainly be
1: in touch. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate you having me and then give me the opportunity to uh, come and uh, talk to your audience. It's been a pleasure.
0: Uh, Yeah. I appreciate the time. Uh, as always, everybody out there, please stay safe.